Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you. Thank you again for taking the time out of your schedule uh, to be part with us. Get another cup of coffee. Sit down. Join us in the Word of God. We've shared things over the last probably two years on the book of Revelation that I'm certain that if you've followed us have perhaps been challenging. We, we don't necessarily ask you, we don't ask you to believe anything actually that we say. We do ask you to be noble like the Bereans and search the scriptures and see whether they're so or not. I know we're giving a different view of this book than probably most would, but I believe that you can see to me the context and how these things fit like never before. Most of the book of Revelation, except for the few verses I showed you before, are all time text limited. These things are at hand. They're about to shortly come to pass. They which pierce me will look upon me. It was written to seven churches that were really in Asia. It's about a tale of two cities, an old Jerusalem who became the harlot and a new Jerusalem who became the bride. We're going to talk a great deal about the new Jerusalem and uh, the end of this book of Revelation, the glorious consummation of what this bride is actively doing. The book of Revelation is different from many of the other books because they talked about what Jesus did in His earth walk. This book tells you what Jesus is doing right now in the heavens, in the earth, in and through His people. Remembering that in Revelation chapter 1, that when John turned to see the voice that spoke with him, he saw seven golden candlesticks. He tells you that these seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches which are in Asia. This book of Revelation is an apocalypse. It's an unfolding, an unveiling, an uncovering. We let that Hollywood determine what we think apocalypse means, but it means to uncover, to unfold, or to unveil. To reveal, it's not a bad word at all because what's being unveiled in apocalypse, what's being the veil is being removed from is Christ. And what we're finding is that this veil that's being removed from Christ, this Christ, this one who had hair like wool and eyes like a flame of fire, feet like fine breath, was walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And he makes it so clear, he said the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. So we see a glorious unveiling and a glorious revealing of Jesus in and through His church. That's what this book of Revelation is about. As we come to the consummation of it, we're going to see this, I believe, a mystery that's been hid from ages, which is Christ in you, a glorious unveiling that continues to unfold that God really did what He said, and that is, I will never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the world. He's living and reigning right now. He's not going to be king. He's already king. He rules and reigns from the heavens, but He rules through His people. A kingdom of priests, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We talked about in the last segment, we talked about the binding of Satan in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to go back there, not 21, chapter 20, and we're going to continue to talk about uh, the binding of Satan I said, Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up 
and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished after these things. He must be released for a little while. And we begin to deal with last week, we showed you how this is not something way out in the future. This is something that began with the earthly ministry of Jesus in the first century when he initiated it. During his earth ministry, when he cast out devils, healed the sick, raised the dead, he secured it as a legal fact at his death and resurrection, and then he dramatically proved it at the collapse of uh, Christianity's first foe, and that was uh, Judaism, when the temple was destroyed and the weapon of the enemy was totally dismantled and taken from him so that Satan literally had been bound from deceiving the nations. We shared with you in one of the early segments how that up until Jesus comes on the scene, uh, the gospel had not been preached to other nations. It was exclusive to the Jewish people, and the rest of the world was under heathen, pagan, demonic influence. But now the gospel, throughout the gospels, Acts and uh, the epistles, has now been preached all over the world, and, and now the gospel's been preached. The nations are no longer uh, being deceived. Now, I'm not saying that there's not still some deception in the minds of people, but we have a great chain of truth, and we have the keys of the kingdom that we are called to be the salt and the light in the earth, that we are called. Our mission is not just to go to heaven. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations. When Jesus said this in Matthew 28, He said, All power and all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. And so He gives us the same power. I Behold, I give you power over scorpions, and you'll tread on scorpions and, scor uh, and, and uh, serpents, and, and uh, he gave us power over unclean spirits, and to heal the sick, and to raise the dead. And he tells them, uh, listen, I when, when they came back rejoicing, because what he gave them authority over was working, they came back rejoicing. He says, don't just rejoice because the devils are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And uh, to me, the powerful truth is, is that the gospel continues to be the great chain that binds this serpent. Now, let me, I want to say this as well, because this word, uh, bottomless pit, is translated other places. One of the places I saw it used is in Romans, I believe it is in the 10th chapter, where it says, And who will go into the deep? That is, to bring up again Christ from the dead. The word deep there is the same word that is translated here in Revelation chapter 20. And what I want to submit to you is the thought that's simply this. Jesus descended into the deepest, darkest pits of death, hell, and the grave, and into the deepest part of the pit. And He came out with victory, and when He was resurrected from the dead, He was delivered for our offenses, but He was raised for our justification. The only thing Satan has uh, left is a mouth. He's been defeated. When I preach a defeated devil, a dead old man, people look at me like, what rock did you crawl out from underneath of? But if we don't believe what Jesus did by faith and appropriate, see, here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff finished and accomplished in the finished work of Jesus that has ongoing effects. In other words, we have part in the first resurrection, but we live a resurrection life, and then uh, we have this life that goes on through eternity. Uh, Jesus, through His death, burial, and resurrection, uh, healed us. He delivered us. He reconciled us. Uh, but one of the things I try to tell people is that we, what, uh, uh, the gospel is both objective and subjective. It is objective in the sense of what God did in Christ, the sovereignty of God. 
the way of grace. It is what God did in His finished work without any help from us. It is the Calvinistic side of the gospel. It is the, uh, uh, it is the finished work, if you will. The subjective side of the gospel is what I appropriate by faith. It is the walk of faith. This is the way of grace and the walk of faith. But I access this grace by faith. In other words, let me say it like this. The scripture says, by whose stripes you were healed. So your healing has already been secured in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's not going to heal you in the sense that he has something yet to do in order for you to be healed. He already paid for everything you need to be healed. That's there in the objective side of the gospel. But if we don't access what he did by faith, then my foot's going to continue to hurt. But my faith accesses what grace has been provided. And so what I see happening, even in the book of Revelation, for instance, is that the accuser of the brethren still comes to try to accuse in Revelation chapter 12 the woman and her seed. But they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. In other words, they appropriate by faith what was provided by grace. I hope I'm making sense to you. There's a whole lot of stuff that was finished and delivered to us that's finished. He delivered the kingdom to us once for all. He delivered to us the finished work once for all. But the ongoing result of that is the faith that accesses that, that brings that into my daily walk. In other words, I can say I'm righteous because of a gift. And I am righteous because of a gift. I've been reconciled. All men, matter of fact, have been reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Uh, that, that's the objective side of the gospel. That's the Calvinistic side. That's the, uh, that is the sovereignty side. God did that. He reconciled us to Himself by the death of His Son. Romans 5. That's the objective side. But the subjective side of the gospel is what I appropriate what He's done here by faith, and I, I, I go forth with a ministry of reconciliation saying to the world, hey, God has already reconciled Himself to you, now you be reconciled to Him. That's where faith comes in. What faith comes in is says, if I'm righteous, the just will live by faith. If I believe I'm righteous, I'll act like I'm righteous. Where faith comes in is Romans 5 said you were, you know, uh, you know he, that, that, uh, that, that we were delivered and reconciled by the death of His Son, but we're saved by His life. So the ongoing life of God continues to save us. And that we were crucified with Christ, that's the objective side of the gospel. We were crucified with Christ. That's what God did in Christ without your help. The subjective side of it is, is when I roll out of bed in the morning and say, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? When I reckon myself to be dead, that's the faith part that kicks in. So it's not grace or faith, but it's by grace through faith. And that's not, a, that's not by works. It's a, both of them are a gift, grace and faith. The ability to even believe comes from God. And that comes from the preaching of the gospel as well. But Satan is bound. Now I want to go to Colossians chapter 2. There's a couple of things I really want to touch in this segment. But Colossians 2, for one, one of the things that I saw many years ago in Colossians uh, chapter 2 talks about... Uh, let me get it here very quickly for you, if I can, as quickly as I possibly can. Colossians 2, I believe it is, uh, verse 11. In whom you were also circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. See, I believe that's part of the first resurrection. Again, you've been raised with him. You've been raised with him. That's part of living in this resurrected life. Having wiped out, watch this, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having, watched this, disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regard of a festival or of a new moon or of a Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy man, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows and increases, uh, that uh, w- grows with the increase that is from God. Uh, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern the things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against indulgence of the flesh. Now, one of the things that I've said a lot of places is people say, well, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. But the truth of it is, if I asked for a survey, we would have a hundred different answers of what do you think Satan's devices, or what do you think his weapon is? But Colossians 2 tells you very clearly that his weapon was the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. Now the handwriting of ordinance that was against us is the law of the Mosaic system. You see, you know, uh, when, when you see First Corinthians, I believe it's maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, for, uh, for if the administration of death written on stones was glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry of affirmation is what the message Bible says. But it was written on stone, handwritten on stone. The the handwriting of ordinance that was against us was the law of the old covenant system. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. What's his weapon? He takes an antiquated law and tries to accuse us before God day and night. But what does Revelation 12 say? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, let me say, there's so much could be said here concerning that. But the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, that Jesus disarmed, and even in the destruction of this Judaism and this temple, which was the final straw, because in other words, you could not keep the law if you wanted to without a sacrificial system. In other words, where where there was no place to shed blood, there was no remission of sin. So the temple was destroyed, and the covenant with death had been disannulled. God had moved us into a new covenant, and uh, only the, you know, when Satan goes about seeking whom he may devour, who he may devour are people who still are up under laws, rules, and regulations, who he can just beat to death with condemnation and with guilt. And I believe that's one of the reasons we don't see authority and power operating, because we don't seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's why all these things aren't being added to us. But when we realize that we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then these other things are added. When we realize we are righteous, and once again, 
That doesn't mean we live a life that is empty. It simply means our, our, our life full of sin. See, a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon of, of uh, we're not under law. What they fail to understand is we're under a different kind of a government. We're under the government of the kingdom of God. And they that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So under the old covenant, 50 days after they left Egypt, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God gives them rules on rocks, and 3,000 people drop dead. In the new covenant, 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb of God, is sacrificed. They're in an upper room, and God gives them the Holy Spirit. So that the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. Rules on rocks couldn't make you behave, but an indwelling Holy Spirit will. So when you're governed by the Holy Spirit, you're in the kingdom of God, and the governor now lives inside of you. You are the governor's mansion, if you will. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of you and governs through you. And again, faith kicks in and says, if I'm righteous, then I'm going to act like I'm righteous. But the kingdom of God uh, and, and, and what the weapon of the enemy, the only area he has to function in is... Uh, when we give him back the weapon. I, I sometimes wonder who these guys work for, that every Sunday morning when they get back up, they put the weapon right back in the enemy's hand and let him use it against you to whip you all week with condemnation and guilt. We need to start preaching we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony, because when Jesus went down into this abyss, he brought the keys of death and hell and has bound the serpent through his resurrection from deceiving the nations again. Now you say, well, well then, you know what, after the thousand years is finished, he's loose for a little season. Let me tell you that the reason I think he's loose for a little season is because of bad doctrine. When bad doctrine comes back on the scene, we put the weapon right back in his hand. He gathers the nations then to, to battle against uh, the camp of the saints. In the new covenant, the camp of the saints is not a physical Jerusalem in the Middle East. The, the camp of the saints is the the bride, the lamb's wife. And I shared with you about four segments ago, the marriage of the lamb had come, his bride had made himself ready. And I'm going to show you in the future from Revelation 21, we're already married to him. And the community of faith is the camp of the saints. I submit to you that there is a fire being released right now that's coming, that's destroying the lies of the enemy. And I'm telling you that, that this, this, this enemy is being destroyed on a massive level because the truth is coming forth, I believe, in this hour like we've never seen it before. And people are beginning to hear the gospel of grace that's removing the weapon from the enemy's hand and casting him right back into where he uh, is going to be judged by this fire from the lake of fire, cast to the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet already are. Uh, I'm telling you that this judgment keeps him bound. Jesus has bound the enemy and then given us authority in heaven and in earth. I, I want to go, I probably have just enough time perhaps to go into the book of Hebrews and show you this. I have been teaching quite a bit from the book of uh, 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 the book of Hebrews, because it's really dealing with, uh, it's dealing with the transition of these Hebrews, giving them a final opportunity to come up out of the bondage of religious bondage, of old covenant thinking, and into the new covenant. And so everything about the book of Hebrews is what's better about the new covenant than the old covenant. And so in chapter 1 and 2, Jesus is better than angels. Why is that? Because the first covenant was given to us according to Acts chapter 2, I believe it is, was handed to us by the dispensation of angels. But this covenant, God in time past spoke to us in through by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoke to us by the Son. And in chapter uh, 2, book of Hebrews, it says this, it says, 
For he has put not the world to come, of which we speak, this is verse 5, in subjection to angels. Now the world to come, remember, there was a passing world that was passing off of the scene of Old Covenant Judaism. The last days was not the last days of this age, it was the last days of that covenant. And so those, uh, that was passing off the scene. And so he said he has not put the world to come, which they were speaking, in other words, they were preaching of this coming new day, this age we are now living in, this world, this cosmos that we now live in, to come of which we speak in, he didn't put it in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are uh, mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him, you made him a little lower than the angels, you've crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands, you have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, and for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for every man. For it is fitting for him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation, perfect through suffering, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. I want you to remember that. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly while I sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And as much then as the children have been partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Can you see that Jesus through death destroyed him who had the power of death? I'm trying to tell you, Satan has been bound. And not only has he been bound, but he releases us from the bondage of the fear of death because the penalty of, of, of sin under the old covenant is the wages of sin are death that we were held in bondage all of our lives through the fear of death. But he delivered us from the fear of death uh, because you and I now have eternal life and, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So the three, fear and the threat of the judgment of that old covenant was what kept them in bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the, to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and high priest. Now, I, I think this is incredible. Because this whole text is telling you that through his death, he destroyed him who had the power. The word destroy, even in the book of uh, Colossians, is the word to disarm. He took from the enemy the weapon of condemnation, guilt, and the law. He took from him the fear of manipulating us through the fear of the bondage of a mosaic system. For God has not given us a spirit of fear again to bondage. See, the bondage was not just the bondage of the world, but a bondage to a religious system. The chains have been broken. There's a glorious liberty that we now stand in. And then he not only speaks of this freedom from the power of this bondage and this fear and this through death destroyed him who had the power of death, but he also goes on to say that he did not put the world to come in subjection to angels, but he put it in subjection to a son. And then he tells us as we read into this chapter that we are one with this son, and as a result, you and I, in our co 
ruling and co-reigning with him, we have authority over the nation. Man, the ramifications of this are incredible. If we could get this, we could change the world. He said, what is man? When, when David, he's quoting Psalm 8 here. David said, when I consider the sun, the moon, the stars, the works of your fingers, everything you've created, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that your mind is full of him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you put in subjection to come the right to rule and reign in this planet. God's first ruler in Eden's misty garden was a son, Adam, who was God's vice regent in the earth. And when we come to this new covenant, the son himself, Jesus, has now come to restore us back to that dominion that was lost under an under a Edenic covenant to restore us back to the place where authority has now been given back to the sons of God. I think it's incredible that there is authority in the life of the believer, I believe, to execute a judgment that's written. And as you go through and you see the ending of this book of uh, Revelation chapter 20, He's bound for a thousand years. He's only loose for a little season at the end of it. I really don't know why he's loose for a little season. My opinion is simply this. What releases him is bad theology. We may be in that season of that bad theology right now. But I can tell you this. His demise is still secure. Fire comes down from heaven. And in, I believe it is 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Who makes us, his ministers, a flame of fire. The fire from the gospel of this message of the kingdom of God, I believe, will destroy the works of the devil. Jesus has sent us out with authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to cast out devils. I am favorable to what I see releasing in some places where we're beginning to understand that the kingdom and the dominion has been given back to the people, the saints of the Most High. My question is, what are you going to do with it? See, you can either sit there and complain about how bad it is, or you can grab hold of a message that says, I've got authority, and I'm going to begin to declare and speak some things that are going to change my future. We're out of time. If you want to be part of something that helps change the direction of the future, get behind what we're doing. I believe we're, we're, we're declaring some things that can change the world. If you'd like to become part of something big, become a partner with us today. Uh, if you can't do that, then send a one-time gift. It helps us to keep the gospel going. Uh, over the airways. We thank you so much for your concern for us and your prayers. God bless you. Join us again next week as we begin chapter 21. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.